morning. morning. I greet you in Christ's name this morning. I want to uh, welcome each one who is here. It's good to have uh, visitors with us. Our youth group and youth leaders are gone for the weekend, so, and I see others that are missing, so it's good to have visitors, and uh, we invite you to worship with us. You know, some of you visited not very long ago, and you probably didn't expect to be back as quick as you are. And life has a way of um, bringing us to certain places and taking us certain places in our life that sometimes we don't expect. But God has everything in control. God is uh, ultimately in charge of our lives, and he has ways of working in them. And I'm excited to look at his word this morning and uh, just discover new ways that I think God wants to work in my life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we come together this morning. Lord, thank you for the freedom to uh, worship together. Lord, thank you for your word that we can study. And I pray that you would give us clear eyes and a clear mind this morning as we read your word that we could be challenged and encouraged. Lord, I pray for... Uh, those this morning who have uh, lost loved ones, uh, especially in the last week's time, Lord, uh, two funerals. And I just pray a blessing on the Beachy family. Lord, I pray that you would be near to them as they're still um, just experiencing a loss of a mother. And Lord, I pray for um, Loretta and and the children and aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters that this death has affected. And Lord, I pray a special blessing on them today as they anticipate the funeral this afternoon. I pray that you would be near to them, that you would comfort them. Lord, help us as a church in some small way to be um, a comfort to them. May you shine through us. And I pray that we could uh, just... Uh, minister to them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Christ Church, in times like these, as we uh, think of funerals and uh, just tough times in life, Christ Church plays such an important role in those times. And as you think about church life, I wonder, have you ever wondered what part of church What part of church health and church life am I responsible for? Is this God-ordained organization as such that we call the church and that we view as, or we call Christ's body of believers, is this organization, maybe you can boil it closer to home, is Sandy Ridge, is Sandy Ridge a result of its people that are here, or is Sandy Ridge is Sandy Ridge a result of its people, or are we a result of Sandy Ridge? Let me ask that a question again. I'll make it real personal for me. Is this a church? Is Sandy Ridge affected and a result of who I am? Or am I a result and am I affected by what Sandy Ridge is? 
You know, about, it's probably been 25 years ago, I spent a year of service uh, in Pennsylvania. And our staff there at that place where I was serving, we attended a local church. And I enjoyed learning to know new people and interacting with those people. And uh, I was a youth, and, and our youth would go to their youth activities. Uh, we joined their church youth chorus and went on a chorus tour, and so that was enjoyable. I, 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 just, I just enjoyed that interaction. There was something that, I, um, that we as a staff talked about some as we attended that church. And I'm not here to be judgmental. I think that church is actually doing quite well today. But it, it seemed to us, this was our perspective. It seemed, Sunday mornings seemed a little bit lifeless at times. And let me just explain what we observed as staff. And one of the things that that I remember experiencing walking in and as the service progressed, and it was much like our service probably, and as the minister went up to begin preaching, it, it seemed like most of them, they sat segregated, so we were sitting over on the men's side. It seemed like a lot of the men slouched down just a little bit and relaxed, and they would settle in, and a, lot, a fair amount of them would sleep for most of the, the service. Uh, it was interesting to look around and just see a fair amount of men sleeping. Now, ministers here, we typically don't allow you to do that. If we see it, we ask you to stand up. So, I don't know, maybe that keeps the fear in you not to sleep during our messages. And then at the end of the message, one of the ministers would get up and he would open it up for testimony. And there was, there was very little response. And I just remember, and there was a phrase that was often repeated, and it was, they would ask, does, does anyone have a word this morning? Is there any word? Does anyone have a word that they would like to share this morning? And there was often, there was very seldom that there was much response. But very consistently, there was a middle-aged man, and I don't even remember his name, and he sat up three-quarters of the way up. And I remember him often, and, and I will admit, as I remember it, that maybe the sermon wasn't real compelling. But that man would often stand up, and he had a testimony for the Lord, something that happened that week. And he was just, he was so excited about what the Lord was doing in his life and how the, he caught something out of the message, and he, he would tie those two things together, and he had something to share. And we talked about that as a staff, and we said, what, what makes the difference? Why is it that he is able to catch something? What is different about him from what we were seeing in the rest of the church? And as I contemplate that, that's the questions I'm asking this morning was, did that church affect him and make him who he was? Or did he have something that he was reflecting to the church? Was there something inside of him? Was there a passion inside of him that was coming out and that was affecting the church or could have affected the church? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The title of the message this morning is, Where is God in my church? 
Where is God in my church? Let me give you a little bit of a backdrop here in Thessalonians. This letter is written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica. And Paul had been to the church before, had given them instructions, had taught, and the church was established. And Paul is now gone. And if you read the first part of this book, Paul starts wondering. Well, he wonders how the church is doing. Are they still on fire? Are they faithful? And so as he's wondering this, if if you think about it, he couldn't text, he couldn't email and ask the elders, he couldn't, probably didn't have good communication. He sent somebody to check on them. And so he sends Timothy, somebody he knew he could trust, and his fellow laborer to check up on the church in in Thessalonica. So Timothy comes back in chapter 3 and gives a report to Paul and tells Paul that the church is doing well. And he also communicates that they have some struggles. They, they have been tempted. They have faced some hard times. But overall gives a good report of the church. And so Paul is not writing this letter to a church that has fallen away. But this next chapter, chapter 4, that we look at, Paul is writing in this in response to a church who is, are doing fairly well. And yet Paul, if you, if you sense his heart, he's wanting to build them up. He's wanting to encourage them. And as I read this chapter, um, I was encouraged and I was challenged. And I just, I want to read through this with you this morning so we can be encouraged. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to begin to read in verse 1. It says, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, that we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands." As we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Paul, to me, is calling out three things that I want to look at this morning in this scripture. And he begins in verse 1, giving them direction about their own personal purity. You know, New Testament churches are often called out for their lack of sexual purity. And 
lack of personal purity affects me and those around me in so many different ways. It doesn't just affect me. It also affect, affects those, um, it affects my family and it affects other people in the church. It affects people, it affects people who I um, uh, interact with, uh, do church with, live with, and relate to. When there's a lack of personal purity, it often distorts my view of myself and others. And specifically, it often distorts my view of the church. I begin to see the church differently. It can cause me to be judgmental at times of others in church or even of the organization in general. Suddenly I become dissatisfied because of, of what I see or, or maybe what I don't see. My lack of personal purity causes me to have a clouded view of truth. I'm not able to discern truth. And yet, as we look at this, and I, I, to me, I, that's one of the first things that I see him calling out in verse 3. He says, abstain from fornication. And probably a, a uh, better translation instead of fornication, as we know that word, probably a better translation would be uh, sexual immorality. And so just encompasses a general um, sexual um, sins. And so he calls them to abstain from that. He calls them away from that. And he calls them to um, live a life that is pure. In verse 7 it says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. You know, God called us to holiness in our, in our personal lives and also in our personal purity. A call to holiness. What is holiness? Isn't it following Christ? Isn't it a, a changed life? A life that is new. A life that has new desires. A life that has new passions. Much different from the passions that I had before I knew Christ. And God has called us to holiness. And in verse 8 it says, and it's still referring to this, this um, abstaining from uh, moral immorality. It says, he therefore that despiseth, or he that rejects, and, re and re he that despiseth and despiseth, let's read it again. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who also give, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So he's saying that if, if we reject what he's telling us, we're not rejecting man, but we're rejecting what God has given to us. We're rejecting his instruction. You see, this, this calling us to a personal purity is not something that, it didn't originate with the church. Today, it doesn't originate with Mennonites for us personally. It doesn't originate with Sandy Ridge. It's not something that we dreamt up. It's not something that I dreamt up. But it's something that God has given. You see, it's a, it's, it's a call, it's a direct command from God that we should be 
walk in purity, that our lives should be pure. And so if I reject that, it's not, it's not that I'm rejecting something that man's asking, but it's actually a, a, a direct rejection of what God is calling to me. Living a pure life, a life that's holy. In Hebrews chapter 13, it refers to um, sexual relationships. And it talks about it, and it gives, it gives the idea that it is a blessing within godly context. It talks about marriage, and it says that it's a blessing within marriage. It's got the way God has designed it, the way God has, has, has told us to live out those relationships is a beautiful thing when it's done within his boundaries, when it's done within his guidelines. But then it also, at the end of that verse, says that if we live outside of those, we're going to be judged. And we're going to give account for how we live our lives. Let's continue to read in verse 9. It says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. The second thing that I think he calls us to is brotherly love. And he makes this comment, uh, Paul does, that he kind of, in today's language, kind of says, you know, I shouldn't have to write this to you. And then he gives the reason why he shouldn't have to write this. He says, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. If you look at that phrase, Paul's saying, you know, you have, you have had a, you have a, you've had an example. And as I think about God sending Christ to this earth, and the way that he lived his life, the, the, the love that he showed to the people that were around him. I am drawn to a verse in John 13, 34. And these are Jesus' words as he was teaching. And he told them, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye love one another. And Paul, as he's talking to, these, to this church, he says, you know, I shouldn't have to, I probably shouldn't even have to mention this because of your experience of God's love. And isn't that so true about love? You know, God, God is the author of love, we say. Love, love originated with God. Love, love started there. He showed us, he demonstrated to us how to live out love to our fellow, fellow brethren. And he still loves us today. And so he has given us that perfect example of how, how love should be acted out. And as, as, as a person, as a human being who desires love, and we've been given that desire by him, as I reflect at how, how God has given and has demonstrated that, and how he's made uh, salvation available to me because of his love, it should cause me, as I, as I realize the extent and just the, the vast amount of love that God has given to me, as I accept that and as I experience that, it's because of that love that I experience that I now turn to the people around me and have something to give to them. It's now as I realize that there are hurting people around me, there's, there's nothing in myself that I have, but it's because of God's love working through me. It's because of what he's given to me that I have something to give to them. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here is that 
these Thessalonians and he said, it's been evident that you've loved people around you. And he even makes a comment that it's been, it's been evident in the way you relate to, the, to all the Macedonians. It's like, to all of Napanee, to, to northern Indiana, it's been evident that you as a church have shown your love to other people. And I want to be that type of person that loves others well. Do I really grasp God's love for me? And if I do, that should compel me to love other people. It should be, it should be a natural response of the love that God has, has given me. And then in verse 10, he challenges them. He says, and indeed you do it, he's referring to this love, you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Keep growing in your love, Paul's saying. Keep, keep building, keep stretching, keep finding new ways to serve. Keep finding new ways to show this love to others. How do we do that? How do we do that practically? It's easy sometimes for us to talk about the theory of, of God's love and experiencing what he's given us and say, it's because of that that I should now have love to give. But you know, sometimes I find it hard to put it in practical terms. How do I live that out? How do I do that? How do I care well? Am I aware of the needs of others around me? Is that a way to show love? Just being aware of what other people may be experiencing? Or am I always the needy one? You know, I would love to show love to other people. But not today. Not right now. Not with what I'm experiencing. Not this week. Maybe next week. Is that how I relate to other people? You know, there's something about caring well for other people that when I, when I reach out, when I, when I invest in other people's lives, when I take time to care well for them, suddenly I become less in tune with my own needs. Isn't it amazing how that works? Suddenly when I'm so busy looking for other needs in other people's lives, when I'm so busy reaching out to them, when I'm so busy texting a word of encouragement, I kind of forget about my own things. I kind of forget about maybe some of the things that I thought was, were so big. How do you find it? Let's continue reading in verse 11. He gives us the third thing. And he says, and that ye study to be quiet. Study to be quiet. First thing was our personal purity. The second thing was brotherly love. And then he says that ye study to be quiet. Maybe my interpretation of that phrase would be live a quiet life. And that ye study to be quiet. And to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Introverts are underlining this verse at this time, right? 
that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. So what does this verse mean? Verse 11. Study to be quiet. Do your own business. Work with your own hands. I thought you just got done saying we're supposed to look out for others, right? And now he gives us clear instructions to mind our own business. Is that what it means? Does it mean that we should not be aware of others around us? Does it mean that we should all just, just mind our own business? You do your thing, I'll do mine, right? Take care of your problems, I'll take care of mine. He says, work with your hands. Mind your own business. Study to be quiet. What does that mean? Is it controversial? Does it contradict the previous verse? I want to look at these three phrases that he gives us after study to be quiet. Or the two phrases. I'm going to list the first one, study to be quiet. And I wonder if it means to live a quiet life. Maybe reflecting back to verse 7. It says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness. And then he has this phrase, But he has called us to holiness. So he's maybe calling us to a, a simple life, a, but a holy life. We don't find that just in this scripture, but scattered throughout the New Testament. We're constantly called to holiness. So called to a, a holy life, a simple life. How do I do that? Maybe sometimes it's enjoying life in the present where God has placed me. You know, I can so easily think that, well, the next, the next part of my life is going to be uh, so much more exciting. Uh, we, we wish our lives away, right? When we're in high school, we wish we could drive and be in the youth group. And when we're in the, in the youth group, we just wish we could be 18, 19, and 20, and we could do this, right? And then at that age, we start thinking, well, if I could just be married and... You know how it goes. We, we always think that, that, that the next part of life is going to be so much, more, so much more fulfilling. And suddenly we find ourselves in that perfect scenario where we have a life partner, right? And we're married. And now we have small children. And they're a lot of work. And we just wish if they would just grow up a little bit, it would be so much more, it would be so much easier to live life. Then I'd have time to reach out to other people, right? I would have time to serve. But I wonder sometime if li sometimes if living a quiet life is being okay with where I'm at. Finding fulfillment where God has called me today. Is it the easiest time of my life? Probably not. And I'm not sure. I may be getting close to that point where I'm starting to, instead of... <laughs> always looking forward to the next thing. How many of you at a certain point, you start looking back and wishing, boy, if I could have just be back here, right? That would be more fun, right? And so there's something inside of us that is just never quite content with where we're at. And I'm saying, maybe living a quiet life is being okay with where I'm at, where God has me today. Living a fulfilled life where God has me today, where he's placed me. Being fulfilled in my job as an employee 
or an employer. Maybe it's not the perfect job, but for some reason, God has me here at this job right now. God has me here in this, as an employer at this place right now. Finding fulfillment in serving. Where does God have you serving right now? Are you serving as a Sunday school teacher? That's important. That's influencing lives. That's influencing young lives. Maybe you're a teacher at school. God's called you to big things. Maybe God has you being a homemaker. It's important. And yet we can so easily think that something else would be more important, more fulfilling. Or my church responsibility, whatever it is, we have different responsibilities. I can look at my responsibilities and think, well, so-and-so, what they're called to do would be much more fulfilling than what I'm called to do. And I would encourage us as we fulfill these responsibilities, as we do well at serving where we're called, it also, we do well not to focus on on others and how they do things better or maybe they could do things maybe in our mind we think they could do something different or do it better rather than me focusing on where I've been called I jumped ahead so that was the second one is do your own business being responsible and focusing on my present calling fulfilling my job and not focusing on others deficiencies and then the third one he mentions here is work with your own hands you know as I look at this passage and where they were at in this day there was a lot of um, slavery and so physical labor in this time was for slaves it was not for uh, most of the people but physical labor was something that slaves did and they're coming out of this and they're being taught that slavery is not right right it's not you shouldn't be you shouldn't own slaves and so Paul is calling them to work with their hands. And we, we maybe read this and, and are trying to figure out, well, why should we, why would he be calling us, if he was writing to this letter to us, why would he call us to work with our hands? But I think he's calling them specifically to uh, physical labor because some of them weren't used to working. They had slaves to do their work. And very possibly some of them were sitting around idle. And I mentioned that um, earlier that it's good for us to be busy, but when we're idle and unproductive, unproductive, whether it's personally or in the work of the kingdom, um, it's not healthy. Idleness contributes to over-self-focus. And so when I'm not busy, when I'm not busy about either my job or uh, busy about kingdom work, there's something about that when I have too much time on my hands, I begin to focus on myself again. And I begin to think about things that I wish I could change about my life or how hard I had it or how hard I'm having it or how hard I'm going to have it. And I begin to focus on myself. And so it's good for us to be busy. But yet, live a quiet, simple life. So we need to keep those things in balance. And there is personal fulfillment in 
just good hard work. And there's also personal fulfillment in doing Christ's work, kingdom work, that I think Paul wants the church here to experience. I ask those questions to begin with about the church. And does the church affect me? Or do I affect the church? You know, I think God works in people's hearts through the church. And so I believe as we come into a church body, God does work through my heart as I become a part of that body. The body does affect me, right? But God also builds his church through people whose hearts are changed, You see, God wants to build up his church. God has a a bigger picture than just Sandy Ridge. God has a bigger kingdom picture that he's fulfilling. And he does that through individual hearts that are changed. He does that through my heart as he changes it. As he talks in Romans about a a heart that is, is, is changed from the inside out. A heart that is... Um, is, is made different, has different passions. And as I allow God to change me, it begins to affect his church, his church. It begins to affect the body that he's placed me in. And so I think maybe the answer to those questions are we affect each other. And we can do that in a positive way. And we can also do that in a negative way. I believe that a strong church is one whose people are pure, loving each other, and busy in God's kingdom. We are about our Father's work. And yes, I believe this is possible only through the Holy Spirit living in me and changing me and renewing my mind daily. This isn't just busy work that I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting that we go about doing all kinds of nice things for people because I'm supposed to be a Christian. But as God is, is living inside of my heart, as God, as I, as I accept God's love, as it begins to change me and make me a new person, out of that should flow a, a desire to serve. It, there should be something, the Spirit should be changing me that I'm that person that has something to say for the Lord. I'm that person that can say, you know what, that was really hard, but I, I see God in some way. I think I see God leading me. I don't know where he's taking me, but I'm willing to go on that journey with him, even though it may be hard. This morning, think about your own life. Let me think about my life. If Sandy Ridge were made up of a hundred and some candles, would I join that church? If every one of you had my attitude, my outlook on life, would I want to join that church? Do we affect the church or does the church affect us let's 
kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you. Lord, we bow in your presence. Lord, thank you for the church. Lord, thank you for uh, the way that you've set up the church. And Lord, thank you for uh, the refuge that the church is and can be. And thank you for the way that you've designed it to cause growth in my life. And Lord, I desire to grow. I want to uh, grow in holiness. I want to grow closer to you. And Lord, I pray that it would be each of our desire to learn more of you and to be more like you each day. Lord, I pray a blessing on the remainder of the service. And I pray that we would sense your spirit here. Lord, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins and just the newness of life that we can experience because of that. Lord, may we experience a small taste of that as we as a church gather each week. And Lord, I pray that out of that, that you would be able to affect others around us, that your spirit would work through us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.